Hey, my name is Michaela, and this is the kind of prelude to the very first episode of a new podcast that I'm testing out making. So, I'm an avid listener to a lot of different podcasts, and I think that's partially what's inspired me to make something. But um, I've been thinking about the components of a good podcast, and I think a really big part of it for me and the reason why I like them is I'm really drawn to podcasts with really animated and interesting hosts that you can learn about and you can get to know. And so trying to create one, that's not really something I thought of until really right now. And uh, it seems kind of daunting. So I thought I would maybe do a little precursor to this first episode and tell you a little bit about myself, just so we're all on the same page where we're starting off. So, my name is Michaela Demers. I'm a freelance dance artist and maker of things that's currently living in Toronto, originally from Manitoulin Island, and I have no experience doing this. I don't think I've ever really been a host necessarily for anything, never really like emceed anything before or talked into a recording device in general. I've also never produced anything before, and um, I'm really interested in learning about all these types of different things. That being said, that's what I'm doing. I'm learning. And I really want this podcast, which is called Art, Activism, and Adventure, to be about conversations with individuals from those communities, with individuals who identify with those communities. And that's really what's inspired me because I have interest in these communities and I think the ethics and morals behind these people overlap and I think they all have really interesting stories to tell. So that was kind of the motivating factor. But that being said, all of it is super brand new. I definitely want the episodes to develop into more of conversations, Um, having more of like a local feel than a a more like in-studio professional feel and getting to know these people as well as their personal knowledge of their community or of their experience and getting to know them also as a person. So, of course, initially I think that everything is going to start off a little rugged, a little rough. Um, The conversations initially will probably be more like interviews and it's, it's a new thing for everyone. I mean... The type of people that I want to be talking to are not people who I think frequent interviews all the time. And so it's new for everyone all around. And I think that's what's so interesting about it. So I guess I'm welcoming you to join me on this adventure of talking to different people and hearing what they have to say. That being said, I'm totally open and available to people who would like to get together for a conversation. Um, Feel free to contact me in any means necessary via the web or whatnot. Um, If you feel like either you personally would like to get in touch with me or if you have suggestions of people who you think would be really great um, and have something to say, that's really key. But other than that, this is really an explorative kind of journey. And um, I don't know, let's see how it goes. All right. So welcome to the very first episode of Art, Activism, and Adventure It's Thursday, January 20th, 2016, and today I will be speaking with Toronto-based performer and choreographer Amelia Earhart. Amelia is the founder of a multidisciplinary performance series called Flowchart, the curator at Dancemakers Centre for Creation, 
a regular to a dance party series, Feministry. I'm going to get that right. And is in the midst of developing a duet with Liz Peterson, as well as training for a triathlon. Boom, that's quite a, that's like a list of things right there. Uh, how are you doing today? Um, I'm good. You good? How are you? I'm good. So first I want you to tell me about Flowchart. Uh, sure. Flowchart is a series of multidisciplinary performance that I started um, two years ago. It's uh, three evenings over three months with three works by nine different, it's like three times three is nine um, <laughs> sort of thing. Um, right. The works are around 20 minutes long. It takes place in a pretty low-tech kind of environment. Right. So have they been hosted all over the place? Yeah. The first one I did was at the Intergalactic Arts Collective Studio all right. at Artscape Young Place. Okay. The second one was at Hub 14. This year it's going to be at Artscape Sandbox through right. a creation residency program they have. Um, and I did one at Dancemakers last year and at Summerworks uh, in 2014. Cool. And they're multidisciplinary, so you have yeah. like, what, in which ways have you um, Artists from any, uh, any genre of performance, basically. So mm -hmm. it tends to be mostly dance. Um, there's also performance artists, people in theater, um, people who do sound kind of stuff. I don't usually show like straight up music, right. um, unless there's something in the specific staging of it right. that kind of fits the vision of... And how do people, like how have you attracted people to participate in that in terms I of usually just I just ask, just like ask I people. just um, do some thinking about who I might want to be involved and then I ask them right that's, it. that's fair that's and like the one that's coming up is the one that's coming up is um, from February 27th to April 7th I believe just got to get those dates in my head February 24th to April 7th I keep mixing them up with um, with previous years as well which is funny uh, so February 24th, March 17th, and April 7th. There you go. And the the, the next one that's coming up in February is hosted. It, these these ones are all at um are all at Artscape Sandbox. Oh, okay. So the series is always in one place. That's really it's good. It's always these three. I have to check ones. that out. I hadn't heard of them before. Oh, cool. Yeah. So I saw them on I saw an event on Facebook and I was like, mm -hmm. oh. Yeah. That's, that's what you're how I about. started in curation. Oh, there you go. So then I guess you asking people specifically was like kind of starting to shape your curatorial Yeah, I hadn't almost. really, um, I hadn't really actively considered going into curation as a thing before this happened and I decided to give one a shot and it originally started as kind of a platform for self-presentation, mm -hmm. um, but with curating a sort of inclusion of other artists around it. Right. Um, and it just really kind of took off from there. That's good. Mm -hmm. Momentum is good. Yeah. And then what about Dance Makers? What is up right now at Dance Makers? Uh, we are busy, busy, busy right now. We're opening um, our resident artist, Dana Michelle, is making a new work called Lift That Up. This is the, her first um, major work at Dance Makers. So she's just in the baker right now, um, across the hall from where we are. <laughs> she sounds that up. good. Yeah, and she's working with Amanda Acorn, Simon Portugal, and Ellen Fury. Oh, cool. This work. Yeah, I know some of those people. Mm -hmm. Knowing people is good. Okay, and then lastly, I also saw the upcoming event for Feministry coming up, mm -hmm. and I just, I'm totally interested in going, and I wanted you to describe kind of like the vibe of, of the party and yeah. why you're attracted to going back to them all the time. Um, I guess the sort of person who started it is my, my good friend Cameron Lee, um, who DJs as Marilyn Mansion, and Marilyn is uh, <laughs> really good at it. She's really great. Um, yeah, just really dedicated to like this like uh, 
incredible mix of drag and performance art that's going on. Um, and feministry is just such a, like making such a concerted effort for a dance party that's a good environment to be in and for a dance party that's, that's positive and so people just have a really good time. It's really, it's a really safe space and it's really um, set up and organized to be that way. They take place at Holy Oak, so it's like in a small, cute cafe thing yeah. down the street from me. Um, yeah, I've been going, I think he's been doing them for about a year now and I am a devotee. I just have a good time every time I'm there. <laughs> they sound like a good time. Yeah, it's really nice. It's crowded now. It's, yeah. They're very crowded, but. As a, like a resident of Toronto for a couple of years now, I'm always trying to look for those different types of just like fun events even yeah. because I don't know, going to the regular bar club scene isn't overly safe all the time. I yeah. I hate it. And I forget that I hate it. I went to see, um. I went to see Cyril Hahn, who is this DJ and producer who makes music that I'm pretty into with um, with some friends of mine in early December. Mm -hmm. And it was at like a club in like, mm -hmm. the club district. And we were like horrified. We had to leave. It was so bad. People yeah. were just like grabbing us. Yeah. And we had no... And it's not just because it was crowded. It was because people wouldn't wouldn't grant personal space. Yeah. There's no like... And they we don't recognize we, everyone, boundaries. Everyone just felt really unsafe. And everyone is like mean... It was awful. <laughs> I had no idea. I, like, my friend Alicia and I went to Holy Oak after we were like, this is terrible, yeah. we have to go. I had the same experience. Yeah. I went uh, for like a friend's of a friend's birthday party to a certain bar that has a certain DJ. Mm -hmm. And, you know, my friend and I were just trying to like sink in and enjoy it. But mm -hmm. we went to the bathroom and, you know, there was some evidently like fresh 19 year olds who were talking and they were just saying things to one another like oh do you feel it yet and we're like oh everyone's on drugs like we need to go home yeah. <laughs> it was a little scary okay so that's you so I want to talk about um I want you because I think I really respect your opinion and I've, I've heard you talk on a number of different platforms about the Toronto dance community and so I wanted to hear like as if you were painting a picture of what that looks like um I mean, a large swath kind of image is difficult. I can speak most clearly to the Toronto contemporary dance community, right. um, the Western contemporary dance community yeah, that's here, good to which is um, be more specific just about to it. specify that I don't really know what's going on in a lot of other dance forms other than in the like by proxy way that, or like I know what's going on in them because it's my field, mm -hmm. but I cannot speak to them as intimately as I know the contemporary dance. Fair enough. Community. Um, yeah, it is a fairly small community, I would say, but there's still quite a lot going on. Um, I think the city is still kind of reeling from having once been a place where there were companies that were formed. A really major part of the sort of foundation of, of dance making in Toronto is that, uh, and this is purely, I think, from a uh, funding and... Um, bureaucratic level but because the national ballet is here for a long time that made it kind of harder for the uh for the independent realm to exist there's a really excellent book called renegade bodies that's published by dance collection dance press um that details a lot of these issues really really well as where i learned a lot of it um so there is this history of the city having been sort of this place where there were like a company there was like a company a couple companies that sort right. of thing and then it being harder for there to be trickle down. This isn't true anymore. There's a really vibrant independent community here. A lot of people I feel who um, who put themselves out there for it, who uh, 
understand the importance of like carrying the weight of, of presenting and that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and people who just do a lot of different things in order to make it happen. Um, artistically, the community is pretty spread out. There, Toronto has a like reputation for being someplace that um, that really pre- has a preference for like a more formal, codified kind of dance technique right. style. And there's um, certainly more and more stuff going on in experimental, improvised blah blah forms um i feel that there's no good way to describe this realm no dance making um so this is uh something that has historically been a bit of a thing here that i think has been changing for a while the more formalized it's a historical thing yeah we have a history of being a a place where you know there was the ballet there was toronto dance theater which certainly for a long time was like really really rooted in being a kind of grand-based company and not which is not the case anymore i mean Christopher presents a lot of like more formal structural dance, but he's also does a lot of work with um, with stuff that really reaches outside of those of those realms as well. Right. So, yeah, um, not a Toronto native, and then moving here and like having my education here, mm-hmm. I have a, like yeah, because you come here and I just am, am immersed in what the community is like now. Mm-hmm. But it's hard to see how it's changed if I'm just coming into it at this point and I haven't seen where it's yeah. come from. Yeah. And so, but you're saying that like right now there's like a nice emergence of, well, not even emergence, but just existence of those independent dance artists and they are doing well. Like they have a platform. Yeah. They're saying things. Yeah, and I would say not just, um, like the independent artist platform has been like a thing here for a while. There's a lot of um, like formal structures that exist here that have existed for a while to support independent artists. Um, the Canadian Alliance of Dance Artists was founded in Toronto. Dance Works has been around for ages. Um, so these sorts of platforms have existed for a while to support independent artists. And I guess the thing that that I understand to be part of the narrative is around um, sort of an expansion of aesthetic and conceptual um, ways of working here. So there's just a greater variety in how people are making dance here right now than right than there was than in the past. But again, it's kind of hard for me to say this because this stuff that people that I've heard has been a change here is what I graduated into. So when right. I graduated from dance school, everybody was saying, "Oh, things are really changing here. There's right. expanded ways of making dance." Blah blah blah. Um, mm-hmm. So like you, I have this understanding of what people say the history was in the development I, I didn't really witness it like I know that when I got out of school a lot of people said that um taking class in Toronto open class used to be really competitive and I've never felt that I've right never really yeah, been in an environment where I felt that open class was competitive and I've always been really relieved for that because like, like I feel like we know there's nothing <laughs> to compete over and that's why right. it's not competitive here like what could be what could we possibly be competing over um, mm-hmm. there just aren't really the resources to make it to make sense for there to be yeah. competition um, and so I've heard people say that it used to be really competitive you know and what? I'll take I their word for that it, too like even because this this might still be true but I remember one person's reason to go to class which I guess could be real but she would say like oh you need to go to class because then people need to see you dance like the teachers need to see you dance and then if there's a gig coming up like they might call you because they might remind I mean, remember that's you the, from that like, class yeah I think that's the line that people teach us in school and yeah. like I was like really are they, gonna, are they gonna call me like I mean I have 
for sure gotten work from going to class. Right. It's true. Um, I think it's a brilliant way to network and to meet people and to it, I mean, see I think, where they're at. I think more than that, it's how to do this art form. It's yeah. like, and it, like not just in the sense of like you have to keep yourself in shape for the work you're doing later because the fact of the matter is there's not enough work for people to be keeping themselves in shape for all the time. Right. So for most people, going to class is actually how they practice. Yeah. So I think it's really important to... Um, to have there be classes available so that people can practice because dance mm. is a really hard thing to do especially if you're not a choreographer if you're a dancer um dance is a really hard thing to do like by yourself in your living room yeah so there needs to be a kind of support network around that to make sure it can keep happening yeah yeah i think about that a lot and i think about um, I was also, uh, just like people's influence on you. Right. And I think it's a good thing. Like, that's why I like to have these conversations because you hear so many perspectives, but I've also heard like, yeah, like comments on class or comments on seeing shows and how, you know, all that stuff kind of influences, especially if you are a creator, what you're doing. Mm-hmm. And so I've also heard, um, cases against like going to class versus creative time with yourself and like what's more valuable in terms of creating movement and like practicing mm-hmm. dance and sustaining that art form within yourself yeah what do you think about that um is there value one over the other are they okay homogeneously in there together like uh sorry what were the two options again going to class attending someone else's class and then kind of like initiating creative movement as a practice oh they're just two different things yeah they're like not really things that you can i think make a comparison to some people find like i find it hard um to take class with other choreographers if I'm working on something. Right. Sometimes this is really hard for me, which is actually how I got into like running and swimming because I make a lot of work that that needs a lot of endurance mm-hmm. and dance class doesn't train me for that very well. And then if I'm doing somebody else's movement, even if it's like a codified system like ballet or something, it gets too much in the body and I like to be a little more clean slate, whereas some other people really like the mental creative wake up that it gives you. Um, yeah, yeah, I think they're just two totally different. I guess it's definitely like an independent journey to figure out what works best for you. Yeah. And sometimes there can be a lot of things that work for you in different ways at yeah. different times. That's the struggle of the creative process. It just pisses me off. Cause I, there's sometimes I'm just like, you know, you might create something and it might be great and you might have worked a certain way, but then you go to kind of like use that system again and it doesn't work. It just like falls apart and it's like, man, I thought I had, I thought I had identified what worked for me, but it's like you're constantly reinvent. I find anyway for myself, I need yeah. to reinvent that all well, the time. Well, I think that um, for a lot of makers, um, people just want to stay curious mm, yeah. and finding a rigidity and a and a procedure to make something can can break curiosity for some people. That being said, I think there are also artists who totally have a process in a way that they know to go in and work. I sometimes fantasize about like, yeah, <laughs> in the same way that I fantasize about like, what if I was somebody who had like a uniform way of dressing? Like these are the pants I wear and this is the top and I put these on every day and this is how I look. Right. Um, so sometimes I fantasize about those same kind of creative processes. Like mm-hmm. people who like always, I, like I know some artists who always start with thing X. They always do this thing and it feeds creativity for them because it's, something that they have been able to stay curious about and watch it change as well. Um, That being said, I think that's something, my sense is that that's something that people get to after they've been making and practicing for a a while. And and one of the nice things about just being newer to choreography is that 
things change so much. I think one of the things that happens to choreographers and people who are making dance is that dance takes a really long time to make. Like I'm working, I'm gonna present a group work later this year that I've been working on for like three years. Wow, and it yeah. started as a solo. And um, I don't really remember how I made it in a lot of ways. I like remember what I wrote down on like grant applications as what my creative process was. Uh, but the way I made that isn't going to be the way that I make the next thing I make because I made that three years ago. You don't ago. even remember. And it, um, and I'm not sure that I could articulate what, what the process was. Yeah, or what even like worked. Yeah. But talking about that, the grant application, I want to talk about um, kind of like that system, like the governmental body type systems mm-hmm. that either support or don't support enough mm-hmm. the dance community in specifics mm-hmm. because that's what we're talking about right now. So even on, I mean, for me, when I hear about grants, like the like national to local level kind of all gets blurred together, but there's obviously definitive things within each one. I mean, what kind of grants are offered by which group and that they're, they all have their own different kind of needs that you need to meet. Mm-hmm. So can you just talk a bit about that in terms of, let's talk about, um, let's talk about independent dance artists mm-hmm. then and like because if that's what we're identifying the Toronto scene has more of right now like how does the the grant or even just like governmental policy kind of help those people or not help um, those people I, what are the things they have to work through yeah for sure I just want to articulate that there's a really um there's a lot of levels of bureaucracy between between government policy and what artists encounter mm-hmm. um and something that I think about a lot is that uh, when you're talking about elections and listening to promises being made by people in campaigns, that sort of thing, it's really important to articulate that people's policies about arts funding, um, it's like a lot of layers before it hits an independent artist. So, you know, Justin Trudeau is promising this massive increase to the Canada Council for the Arts. This is like many layers away from being something that um, that artists are encountering. That being said, the layers are there and there is a connection. So um, in Toronto, we have three major councils to seek funding from, the Toronto Arts Council, the Ontario Arts Council, and the Canada Council for the Arts. All of them have project grants that independent artists can apply to for making work, for professional development, for commissioning a work on yourself, for uh, just a straight creation process or for a production, um, travel money to get someplace, that sort of thing. All of them require fairly complicated applications that don't (laughs) (laughs) really have a lot of communication between them. Like there's, they have not yet simplified, they don't yet have all the same questions between the councils. Right. And this is because the layers of government that they're dealing with are actually also very disparate from each other. So like the things that provincial, that the provincial government has in terms of um, funding policies and strategic plans get fed to the Ontario Arts Council, which then has its own strategic plans, which then hits artists who are applying. Um, and then that, that kind of stuff is really different than maybe what the federal government is working on or what like the municipal government is working on, which right. is like often there's a bit more flexibility there because it's a much more local, much smaller pot. Also. Right. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, and I find that um, like that might just be me, but that's one of my assumptions that takes 
dance so long to develop is that it's like, all right, sure. So we got a little bit of money or I'm just going to kind of fork out my own money for rehearsal space. I mm-hmm. like start to develop solo. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, you use that material, the video that you have, your process, you mm-hmm. write a grant. It takes you like whatever, two months to write it because mm-hmm. sometimes, Sometimes it's all about more than you have. Mm-hmm. You write a grant. It takes two months for them to get back to you. Four months. Oh, there you go. Yeah. I'm dreaming long, over here. Yeah, no, it's, it's a really long. It's a really long process. But is that? Am I like correct in assuming that that's part of the reason why this is just taking so long? Because like to get people into the studio. I mean, yeah. If you're, if you're talking about making a group work, it just takes a really long time to get the resources to get a group of people in a room. Right. Um. Like traditional dance, the group work that I'm working on right now, I have. Last year, I got two residencies in a pretty short period of time next to each other to work on it, which was great. I didn't have funding to work on either of them. Um, so, so you had a space, but... I had a space, and I had tech support in one instance, um, but I didn't have any money for anybody, so it was done on the like very good grace and... Mm. Uh, generosity of the artists involved. And that's also a time concern on you because, I mean, if, like, how are you paying for rent if you don't, if there's nothing yeah, there? I mean, so like, you, yeah, think you have to balance. Not working, not yeah, you have to balance the time of your residency with however you're deciding to make yeah, a living. Yeah, I was really lucky for two years. I had a job working at the Canadian Alliance of Dance Artists and it was extremely flexible mm. um, so, yeah, in terms nice. of hours and it really, it, it straight up facilitated my career. For two years like I was able to do a residency at Hatch and just go away for a week because I could just work more hours the next week right or I could just say like I'll work half days this week that's sort right of thing so that really um it was like a very tiny little part-time job it wasn't a ton of money but it was just enough to sort of like get me by and right. um and yeah I think it was a real model for employment in the sector for artists yeah well it's it was the Canadian Alliance of Dance Artists. Yeah. So, I mean, in a way, it's a good thing that they supported you. Yeah, I mean, it's an artist-run board. So. Yeah. If they were like, mm, no, then you'd be like, well, there's a bit of a disconnect there. Yeah. So, so yeah. So, in that, I guess in that way, that the granting um, systems are kind of lacking for artists in terms of just, like, time. But, I guess, consistency as well. So, like, the time it takes to apply and to hear back and to continue your momentum. Because I feel like that's a big thing, too. Like, as soon as I think about... Like, oh, I should get a grant for this. I just feel like all momentum just dissipates from your mm-hmm. project, which I guess is having that endurance is kind of a, a sign of an artist, too, to just, like, keep pushing on your ideas and that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. But so I, I personally, I would see, like, that in terms of time to be kind of like a downfall that where they're yeah, not meeting the I artists really where they know, need. Um, I don't know how to yeah. I think that the councils really know this. There's a lot of talk right now about... Um, about funding models and funding structures because the Canada Council is going through this really, really radical restructuring. Right. Um, and there's a lot of people who are really wary about the Canada Council's restructuring. What I have heard officers say and the messaging that I'm getting, like I'm understanding from the council, is that they acknowledge that the current system doesn't work. Yeah, so they're go. gonna try something new. Right. I don't see logistically how we're gonna get away from the long wait periods. Mm-hmm. Rolling deadlines would be really great if there weren't just because part of the issue is that you have to wait until the deadline and then you wait until after the deadline and if there isn't a deadline that aligns with your project, then there's no way you can access money. Um, so this is a challenge in it, uh, but it's a lot of moving parts to put a jury together. It's a lot of moving parts to um, to work through that bureaucracy. It's a lot of time to read all the applications. I sat on a jury past April and it's a lot of time to read all the applications, watch all the support material, deliberate over it all. Right. Um, yeah, so it's um, 
something that I feel aware is not necessarily something that the like councils are ignoring, like mm-hmm. evil councils ignoring this problem that artists have in accessing money and being able to make their work. It's like, we know this is just an issue. Trying to find ways to make it better. How do we make it better? Yeah. And um, changing things that come down from government policy is very slow. Absolutely. It's a very slow process. Yeah, we all know that. And then... I mean, like, think about how long it takes to get a health card. Yeah. (laughs) It's incredibly irritating to go to Service Ontario. And this is, like, for your personal piece of plastic that has your picture on it. Yeah. That they want you to change. This isn't for, like, many millions of dollars of funding. And then you have to pay to to renew I figured that I actually had to do this like last month and you have to pay to renew your own health card oh really I didn't and I was this. like I just renewed my health card and it didn't cost me anything no way you should look into this it definitely <laughs> cost you something I was like why does it cost me something when you're the one that wants me to renew it in the first place yeah and I also want to talk about um because I, I was under the impression too that you had something to do with getting dance into like the summer work series um I was the uh curator for the inaugural dance series at SummerWorks, so I didn't have anything to do with like getting it in there. Michael Rubenfeld asked me to come curate okay. a dance series, so I think this was after a number of years at SummerWorks of there being a lot of momentum and a lot of dance artists applying to take part in it, um, but there was nobody on the artistic level um, at SummerWorks who was really in dance. Michael's right. really interested in dance, and he's really... like. A lot of theater people that I know right now are really interested in something that's going on in dance, which I think is like a really interesting conversation to have another time. But um, yeah, Michael was very curious about dance and very open and very earnest also. And he just gave me a very generous invitation to participate in the festival and to do this curation. Right. Um, so is that a one-off type thing though? or is... It was a one-off type thing for me. Right. It's being curated by Jen Goodwin this year okay. um, because I got this job at Dance Makers. So I left SummerWorks, I would have right. kept doing it. It was a really great time. Um, but the presence of dance in that series will continue can, then. Yeah, that's SummerWorks cool. Summer is going to continue to have dance, yeah. Good. Mm-hmm. Bridging it out kind of to compare Toronto with even the rest of Canada. Because mm-hmm. when you talk about dance, and then when I talk to other people as well, they kind of hit on the, you know, the places to go. Mm-hmm. And you can talk about that in terms of the world. But mm-hmm. I feel like even in Canada, there's like, you know, one to three cities max that you kind of are in. Yeah. Even though I do see art from all over. Mm-hmm. But sure. um, what do you think about that in terms of even, once again, the granting bodies or the policies to well, reach of, all of those different people? One of the things that really affects dance, art in general in Canada, is that Canada is very large. Mm-hmm. Um you see a lot more crossover between cities and artists in cities in places that are not so large and difficult to get around. Canada also has a really small population for such a large country. Um, so there are a lot of like highly densely populated or like highly densely populated for this country, which is not very dense. Highly densely populated cities that are super far from each other, so things can be kind of distant. Toronto, Montreal probably has this like 401 corridor thing happening that's yeah. like the closest thing to a intercity kind of connection that goes on here. I know a lot of artists who work between Toronto and Montreal. Yeah. Um, a lot of swaps happen there. Yeah. I think the biggest thing with art in Toronto is that it's really expensive to live here mm-hmm. um, and the rent is really high and space is really expensive. So this is something that has like a really huge impact on on the city here. I think a lot of, not just in dance, but a lot of the art that I'm most excited about in Toronto 
exists the way it does because resources are so sparse. So people have a tendency to like do everything in one week. Like this is the time that we have the resources. Everybody's going to get together in this room that we found for cheap and we're going to make it right now. Right. This is something that happens here that doesn't necessarily happen um, in places where where rent is cheaper. I mean, I guess Montreal being like the best example of this, Montreal is getting more expensive, but it's still like substantially cheaper than it is here. Um, I can't speak too much to the Vancouver situation, but I imagine that Vancouver's expensiveness also has a similar Contributes to that. Yeah, Yeah. for sure. I guess something that I feel like we've been kind of, that I want to talk about, but hasn't really related to anything that we've talked about yet, is um, gender and dance. Mm -hmm. And I think that, I mean, you can look at pop culture and media sources all over the world right now, and we see kind of an increase in terms of... um, news on feminism and gender equality and that kind of stuff. And I think in dance it's it's interesting how I think the conversation almost like reverses because it has this weird imbalance of male and female participants. And um, I've had a really broad range of conversations with a bunch of people because, I mean, you meet so many different people, they have different experiences, they got into dance different ways, both mm-hmm. men and women. Last year in particular, last winter, I saw three all-male shows, and that just like kind of blew my mind. And so I was just curious to hear your opinion on gender and dance, wherever you want to take that. Sure. I mean, it's a really large topic. The thing that things always come down to for me is that um, dance is female-dominated, especially contemporary dance, ballet, a lot of Western forms are really female-dominated. So there are fewer men, so the men get more work by proxy, often are higher paid for their work, not just in terms of doing more work, but on a on an hourly basis. Right. Um, it's not very difficult to find stats on this sort of thing. Um, and I like to compare that to, to sport, which uh, is not male-dominated, in terms of population, I think necessarily, but is a is a male dominated field. Yeah. So there are fewer women, so there are fewer opportunities for women, and they get paid less. Right. So I think that when I have conversations about um, about gender inequality in dance, it often comes down to me for this thing of like, <laughs> uh, does the difficulty of being male in dance does the like um societal the societal pressures that one encountered in order to have a career in this field you know maybe you come from a really conservative homophobic place that said nasty things about you right do those challenges and barriers um somehow recuse you from the barriers that women face um do those barriers somehow uh act as some kind of like balance thing like okay well you have it hard because you're a woman but like it was hard for me to get into this art form because I'm a man like I guess um I just want to make I never want to forget that the patriarchy exists and that it's not good for anybody I guess yeah is what I mean and um and saying that I mean so it was hard for you to get into dance but now you'll have more gigs and you'll be better paid to make up for that is that the trade-off because I just I'm not really sure it's it's possible to talk about in terms of trade-offs it's very very complex information and I've had a lot of 
really huge conversations about it, especially last year. I was making work about, um, I was making work about this, but I, I, I just think it's always really important to remember that um, this field is female dominated and there are still fewer opportunities for women and that yeah. there are still fewer works by women shown in supportive places and there is a large global pattern of organizations and initiatives and dance being founded by women and then being run by men when there's money to pay somebody to run them. Right. Um, so the the like glass ceiling fair pay for fair for equal work mm. thing that exists in all other forms of work exists equally strongly in dance, which is a female dominated form. Right. And that being said, I feel like that's the way it's always been. I mean there's always it's always been female dominated. Um, in, not in terms of Western forms, maybe in, specifically. Well, it's hard to say. Like, uh, like ballet was founded as a social thing that only men could perform. Right. Um, but even if we don't go all the way back to the founding, we just say in the last like for the last hundred years. Yeah. And so, but I feel dominated. so. I feel like this is something that's been really consistent in terms mm-hmm. of there just being more women than men around, mm-hmm. yet you hear a lot of like big male choreographer names and everything else, critics, curators, presenters. And uh, this like rise in, in the conversation about feminism on a pretty global scale, like I feel like it's like pretty national anyway. I hear a lot of stuff around Canada, mm-hmm. a lot of stuff around the US. Um, in terms of just like everyday life, like women everywhere and jobs everywhere, all different kinds. But I feel like this conversation in dance has been a thing since for a hundred years. So is it a conversation that we're still having? I mean, you're saying you're having pretty. I deep think conversations these conversations change year. all the time. I think these conversations um, come and go. I've never not been aware of this conversation, um, and uh, yeah, I think it's I think it's a conversation that shifts as as like gender politics on a whole shift, mm-hmm. that sort of thing. Do you have any like revolutionary ideas of what's up and what in inter- like you know I'm not looking ideas, for yeah just you know your opinion on like potential solutions of what oh. we as individuals can do just to recognize that that's a thing and I mean I don't think I I don't think I have solutions for anything but I do find something that's helpful for me is to always try and see who's being excluded in something identity politics are very very complicated. Um, like, I feel really aware of the, like, large portion of things that I have easy access to because I'm white. Um, this is a, like, thing that I can't be not aware of. Yeah. Um, personally, and I think the, the call for everybody is to just, like, look at the situation they're in, try to think about who's being excluded. And if you find yourself in situations like, oh, everybody's white. Oh, there are only men in this room. Oh, there are only men speaking there. Oh, everybody here is straight. Like, um, then I think it's important to start asking questions about like, Hmm. why, why is that? Mm -hmm. And if the answer, (laughs) if the answer that one is coming up with is that it, because there must be something essential about people X that makes them not want to be here, then probably you should ask yourself the question again. Right. Well, I feel like that's a solution in a way. I mean, being more aware of your surroundings and being more like almost uh, personally reflective on the things that you partake in, mm-hmm. that's probably something everyone could do a little bit better. Yeah, just like 
try to think about who's in the room with you right now. <laughs> it's a good way. You just got to look around. That's another Toronto thing. It's just like being aware of what's going on around you. Yeah. Right. And then um, kind of counter to the grant body systems or the political systems and how they do empower us in certain ways in terms of giving us support. Um, I also wanted to talk about like the power of the individual. Mm-hmm. And I mean, you kind of mentioned it in the beginning, you know, people who really have something to say and just like keep going at it. And let's talk a little bit more about that in terms of not like what you need to make it, like not that kind of conversation, mm-hmm. but just what do individuals, what what did they bring to the table that's something like a government body couldn't give them in terms of mm-hmm. making this community happen and keeping it in existence and keeping it relevant? I mean, like individual people are the, are the community. Like I think it's just important to remember that art isn't populated by funding bodies and it isn't populated by galleries and dance companies. It is populated by people who populate those organizations, who populate those funding bodies and councils. So, um, like, there is no question of what individuals can, can bring to it and do to shape it. Like, it's, it is all done by individuals. Right. And I think that's something that... I've been thinking about this a lot since I started this job, but I feel aware of the fact that it can be easy to encounter institutions and, and structures as institutions and structures and not by people who are making choices there. Um, and sometimes it's useful for me to contextualize what's happening at decision-making levels as being like (laughs) things that are like decisions that are being made by people who are being presented with a set of options and have to choose the best options kind of thing. Um, and then on like an independent artist level, like, yeah, it's, it's, it's a field made up of people who are doing things. Yeah. So. I feel like un, unlike other fields where there's a, there's a very linear kind of thing that you follow, like a progressive route kind of that you're on, um, it's really explorative, right? Like how you decide like who you're going to be in this community, what kind of role mm-hmm. you're going to play, how you're going to interact with it. And I think people slip in and out of it really easily. And you, sometimes you don't notice and sometimes mm-hmm. it takes a really long time. Mm-hmm. Or sometimes people are always there, but you don't notice that either. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, that's, I'm really curious about that in terms of... And I feel like there are some things like um, becoming a member with something, you know? How mm-hmm. um, you can be a member of CATA or of Dance Ontario, these types of things. They try to... In a way, they try to kind of facilitate... I mean, they're doing a bunch of things. CATA mm-hmm. has a bunch of different mm-hmm. reasons why you should join them, but... In a way, I feel like it's trying to make them officially feel like you're included into this group and that Mm -hmm. even if you have a month or two where nothing's happening and you feel disconnected, there's something like that that can bring you back into it. Yeah, I think that for some people, those sorts of membership things can be really useful. I mean, they're useful on your taxes. It's useful to like submit to your taxes and say like, yeah, I'm a member of this professional union that says, or union, this professional alliance that means that I am thing X. Um... I feel like in all art forms that kind of identity question around like do I do this thing, am I somebody who does this thing if I'm not doing it right now is is a constant issue and is um, and it's just hard to compare in fields where people do have jobs that they go and do every day um, and I I don't know, I guess it's 
important to just remember that like as much as people in art uh, try to articulate that okay maybe I'm not dancing every day but I'm a dancer maybe I have job X but I'm a dancer um, it's important to say to, to look at things from the opposite perspective and say like okay maybe I'm an accounts manager at work but I'm not an accounts manager I'm this person who I don't know rides mixes pottery. and like <laughs> yeah. makes macrame I don't know um, so so yeah I think that because in art there tends to be this really like identification with your work thing it's important mm -hmm. to know that this is also like this is also a, a capitalist structure that identifying really strongly as like your work and the thing that makes you money is maybe not like maybe a we, huge maybe we don't person all... of who you are and how you it doesn't or it doesn't have to be and i yeah. guess that's the complicated thing in, in art is that we tend to identify people as what you do as, as what they do to make money right so this is where there's a bit of a slippage in dance mm -hmm. um yeah i know somebody who when they introduce people to each other rather than saying like this is such and such uh they're a bookkeeper this is such and such they're a carpenter they'll say like this person does these things this person has these interests and then yeah and i have a friend like that too she it's introduced so me great. to a friend and was like this is, what's your face? She does this and makes really awesome cupcakes. I was like, great. All right. Cool. It's good to know. Yeah. And you, yeah. I, you almost get a better perspective of who they are mm -hmm. than being like, oh, this is, this person's an accountant. I mean, especially at parties. Cause sometimes like I was at a party recently and somebody was asking me some, it was like 2am and somebody was asking me some really intense questions about my job. <laughs> and I was like, I love my job. I love my job so much. I don't want to talk about this right now. <laughs> had some drinks it's really late it's too i don't want to talk to you about like yeah. how i navigate bureaucracy in yeah. the context of my position as an arts leader <laughs> i guess they, not were, what they were just right really now. interested they were interested and i think they were also just sort of like oh this person's interested in their work this person is in a line of work that means they have to be interested to be in it because there's not really any other, any other motivation <laughs> If you're not interested in you it. You just like blew their mind because they just didn't understand. Like, I didn't want to talk about it. I was like, no man, let's talk about TV. Yeah. Let's talk about the weather. I'm watching on Netflix. Yeah. I had someone come up to me. I, I knew I was going to meet these people and I didn't want to meet them. But whatever. I knew I had to meet them and I was ready to like to label myself with something. But I was so caught off guard because they asked me, so what do you do for work? Mm. <laughs> I because people usually don't do that. They say like, oh, so like, what do you do? What do you do? And yeah. I was like, oh, like I can, I can, I can, I can say something that says that I'm an artist, but you know, it doesn't pay for my living, but that's a huge part of me. That's what I am. Mm -hmm. And um, but then they said, what do you do for work? And I just, I just was taken aback, and I was like, uh. <laughs> I mean, what they didn't ask you is what do you do for money? And I right. think that it's important in such moments if if you do want to make sure you're saying like dance first mm -hmm. then you say like the work that i do is in dance right it's work mm -hmm. it's not always paid labor but like what do you do for money is a really crass question to ask yeah. somebody and so people don't usually ask that question right but usually the language that we have for understanding that question points to the job that you get money from yeah and that's what i thought this question was leading to and like if i said you know, and it's just about, you know, do you want to have that, that conversation that day? Cause it's like, if I say I like the, the work that I do is in dance and they'll be like, so how does that work? You know? And it's all, it's all very, you know, kind of not saying what they mean and just saying other things to mention money, but without mentioning it. But yeah, it's, it, it was, you know, one of those days where I was like, nah, I don't feel like 
going down this road. Yeah, not today. Yeah. Not today. Yeah. Sometimes, Sometimes you don't <laughs> yeah. Sometimes I'm just And it like, also, you get a vibe. This. You get an instant vibe up someone. You're like, oh, I want to explain this to you. I feel like you're going to be able to. Some <laughs> people are like, like, we're not no. talking about this. You know, it's two in the morning and <laughs> I, I don't want to talk about this with you. <laughs> okay, cool. Awesome. So I think that's, I really want to pull more from your brain, but mm-hmm. I could probably do this all day. Um... I want to wrap up there then. So I'm also always on the hunt for just new things. Mm-hmm. So I'm, I thought I would just use this as an excuse to get new things from you. So that's mm-hmm. why I would love for you to recommend um, a, either a music group or a musician that you like, a book that you have read or that you read, mm-hmm. and then just one thing, one recommendation that you think people should just like, people should know about. Could sure. Be anything. Um, the music that I will recommend is... Somebody who I was just listening to, an artist named Frances Bebe, who is an, uh, made early electronic music in Cameroon. Um, so Frances, F-R-A-N-C-E-S, Bebe, B-E-B-E-Y. A book, I always like to recommend Dune by Frank Herbert. Um, I also just finished reading I Love Dick by Chris Krause, which is an excellent, excellent book that I... Somehow, I simultaneously wish I had read it earlier and wish that I could have not read it yet so that I could read it later. Um, and a thing I'll recommend, Cameron Lee, Marilyn mentioned feministry, these parties. Cameron Feministry. Lee. And yeah. I'm sure we can find them him online somewhere. Cameron's uh, Instagram username is uh, Marilyn, M-A-R-I-L-Y-N, Mansion, M-A-N-S-I-O-N. Right. So, Marilyn Mansion. On Instagram. Yeah. I totally... I'm going to follow, because that sounds great. I'm She's totally going to go to that party, too. Yeah, there's one on Friday at the Holyoke. I'll be there. Yeah. Awesome, and we're going to finish off there. I really like to thank Amelia for her time today and for talking to me, and let's play, let's get played out by some of Francis Bay Bay. This is the Coffee Cola song. <laughs> There are people in town, man, crazy people in town Eating bread and butter and honey and drinking black coffee cola They believe we are wild, man, they believe we are wild Just because we don't use any money and we drink no coffee cola but if you could go and see how they live, then you discover how savage they are, so much wilder than we. Savage they are, so much wilder than we.
Thank you. 